0: To learn to juggle, start with one ball throwing back and forth from hand to hand.
1: Wow, what a great thing. I should learn how to do that because when I go hitchhiking again on the road, it's gonna be a great tool to get rides.
0: Every throw is the same as that one ball throw and catch you started with.
1: Well, I came for a visit and then pretty immediately just decided I was gonna move here. As you get comfortable, you can add a second ball. When I came to Nashville, I was very skilled at juggling. Over and over. I could juggle seven balls, five clubs. I could do triple spins. I was a master passer.
0: Learning to juggle is about not being afraid to try something new. I was wondering, what am I going to do? Even if you don't know if it'll work or not.
1: I do have a propensity to focus on the good and then forgetting the bad. Throw,
0: throw, catch, catch.
1: We were trying to change the way real estate was practiced and make it more community-based.
0: Throw, throw, catch,
1: catch. We grow a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, we are always recruiting and growing. Throw, throw,
0: catch, catch.
1: It was time for a renaissance in our city and we needed to bring people back to some of these urban neighborhoods.
0: Start with one in each hand.
1: There were others that saw it, but I think I saw it a little more clearly than others.
0: And the more you practice, you'll be able to start adding in all different tricks and combinations.
1: I felt like I wanted to use business as a tool for change.
0: When you see a juggler performing amazing tricks with five balls, just remember, you don't see all the trying and dropping over the years that it took them to get to what you see right now.
1: Hi, I'm Mark Deutschman. I founded Village Real Estate Services in 1996, Core Development Services in 2003, and the City Living Group in 2005. I'm a real estate entrepreneur.
2: From the Chase Studio at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, this is Circle Back, where we trace the life cycle of the startup from bright idea to big payoff. I'm your host, Clark Buckner. Mark Deutschman could have run off to join the proverbial circus long ago and actually succeed. And this juggling, well, it's important to the story that starts in and
1: around a Lutheran church. Some of my first memories were down in Boca Raton, Florida, and my dad was the Lutheran preacher of Advent Lutheran Church. And we had a parsonage next door, so we were really the preacher's kids. And it's more than just being a preacher's kid. You're sort of absorbed in the community of the church. When I was nine, my family moved to Virginia. My dad had taken a position working as the director of American Missions in the Lutheran Church because he serviced the East Coast. Uh, We moved into Columbia, Maryland in about 1971, which was a new city It had been developed by James Rouse. It was a planned city that was coming together. It was in its first few years of life. But what I loved about Columbia is that you had connected neighborhoods and villages, and everything was connected by a greenway. So we could ride our bikes all over the city, not even encountering any traffic. And for me, that was a learning experience because, as you know, I've been super involved in greenways here in Nashville, Tennessee, and sort of gave me a base for
2: that. In Columbia, learning, or at least school, was a bit unconventional, too. I ended
1: up going to Wild Lake High School, which, sort of like Columbia, was an experiment. Um, We had really no classes. We went in, and we were taught by guidance counselors, and we had LAPs, learning activity packages. We didn't have to go to class at any time, and I was just remarking with my brother that I think the first two years, I played bridge in the cafeteria and soccer outside for most of the day. We actually moved outside of Columbia, just outside when I was in 10th grade, and my family and two other families from the church that my folks and we went to ended up moving into the collective, and the parents called it the Order of St. Martin and it was supposed to be sort of a spiritual experience. There was about 60 of us lived in the household. It was three families with kids. But I think an issue was is that they had five teens and preteens moving into this collective, and we were all preacher's kids, and preacher's kids are known for troublemakers. And we were all starting to experience um, a little bit of rebellion. We had about 2,000 acres in and around our house. We lived on 14 acres on a river, and there was about 2,000 acres, and we had a horse barn. So we had horses. You know, we each had to divide up all the chores in the household, and I generally mowed the fields, fixed the fences, worked in the gardens, did all the outside things, and different people took up other chores. I sort of got crosswise with school for various reasons, and as soon as I graduated, I had my parents take me to the interstate and I ended up hitching across the country. And so that was the beginning of about 20,000 miles of hitchhiking. I first went out to Berkeley, California, because my sister was out there and I moved into her collective. One interesting thing about Berkeley is that one of her folks in her, in her household was a leather maker and a juggler. And I would go hang out with him on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley and watch him sell his craft, but he'd get up and juggle, and he was a phenomenal juggler.
0: You really want to focus on practicing that two-ball exchange. Throw, catch, throw, catch. And
1: I thought, wow, what a great thing. I should learn how to do that because when I go hitchhiking again on the road, it's going to be a great tool to get rides. So I picked it up. Over
0: and over until you get really comfortable, and then you add the third ball. Yeah, I lived there for a couple
1: months. Then I hitched back to um, Utah and worked at a ski resort for winter. Then I hitched up to Wyoming and worked on concrete for a little while. Came back to Maryland for a little while, but then went down to South America and traveled around. I just did that for a lifestyle for two years. One of my friends from fourth grade was going to Stanford. And I thought, maybe I should go to college. And so I started the process of taking the SATs and doing the things that I needed to do. And I ended up going to University of New Hampshire. I was studying sciences and Spanish, but then I decided to take another year off and left and
2: went to Europe for a year. And that's where juggling really began to pay off. So I would taken my high
1: school sweetheart. I should probably tell the story, but there was a girl in the collective. She was of the other family, and I had never noticed her. But when I was about 15, 16, I started noticing her. She was a couple years younger and she became a high school sweetheart. Convinced her to go to Europe with me. We spent time. She had learned how to juggle so we could juggle and do passing together and use that as a tool. So I did a lot of busking on the streets and used that to to make my way through, through the cities. It was wonderful. Came back to the collective, and I decided to pick a school that had both zoology and dendrology. She was studying dendrology And I put my finger on a map and found one of the schools, and it was Humboldt State University out in California. We ended up splitting. I ended up going to California and finishing up my degrees. Zoology degree with a marine emphasis, which led to other things happening in my life.
2: Next, an emergency at sea lands Mark on a remote island where he would meet a friend for life.
1: I'd always wanted to work with whales since about fourth grade. I, for whatever reason, I thought I wanted to work with whales. By now, you've figured out if Mark wants to do something,
2: he does it.
1: And at Humboldt, when I saw an ad advertising an opportunity to work as an intern with killer whales up in British Columbia, I went for the interview. Throw, catch. Throw, When catch. I walked into the interview, the guy who was that scientist was this guy that i'd met randomly in the square because i was a juggler he came up and he could juggle and he wanted to pass with me and and we had come up and we had passed some clubs and when we walked in together he's like oh my god it's you throw throw catch catch and i got the job just like that there was a community of about 150 whales that comes in every may to october every year to feed on chinook salmon so it's very remote, very rugged, very cold waters. We'd go out every, every day and spend time with the different pods of whales. My job was to take pictures of the dorsal fins and saddle patches. We were trying to learn who these whales were, and you could identify the different
2: groupings. He got close to the whales, even when surfed with them. His Jacques Cousteau adventure lasted two summers.
1: At the end of that second season, I'd packed up my little boat. I came upon a super pot of whale, like 25 or 30 whales. And they were moving my way, so I slowed the engine, and I was tracking with them, probably for 45 minutes. And I'd climbed up on my front pontoon. I was identifying my friends and saying goodbye. And when I looked back, I noticed that my engine was smoking. And I jumped over and I pulled off the cover and I watched my engines just fry and my boat went kaput. And the whales went one way and I went the other. And I was just hosed because I didn't have a radio. There was no cell phones. The water, if you fall in, is super cold. You'll die in about 12 minutes. And big barges and things come through. So I was sort of at the mercy of the elements and I finally realized that I had one of those windsurfers on board. And so I put up the sail to see if I could figure out how to sail this boat and get some control, and I rigged it. And for nine hours, I went up the straits until I landed on a small island. And when I walked into the camp, fortunately, there were two people. And one of them was this guy with a long hair and long beard and barefoot, couldn't hardly talk. And this guy was Joel Solomon. So we became friends. We, you know, we spent that summer, we, we learned about each other and became friends. And that's somewhat why later on he gave me that call. Joel says, I'm down in Nashville, Tennessee. My father died. Why don't you come down for a visit?
2: By now, Mark had gotten another degree, a master's in international management.
1: I ended up getting my real estate license because I was going to help Joel's family sell some assets. And we lived on 20th Avenue right near Hillsborough Village. And Joel had cut his hair, he was clean-shaven, he put on suits from time to time, and he was quite a community builder. He was somebody who was interested in civic duty. He was working in Hillsborough Village. Hillsborough Village had been sort of moving Vanderbilt back because Vanderbilt had been expanding into different neighborhoods and they had their identity. and. I ended up getting involved as well, and getting involved in the Streetscape Committee, helping to organize the merchants, helped organize their first uh, Hillsborough Village festival and home tour. It was a Halloween festival. But I was also getting my real estate license to help Joel's assets. And when people started asking me what I did in and around the community, I said, I sell real estate within a one-mile radius of Hillsborough Village.
2: Remember... This is a guy who spent his wonder years in the nation's first successfully planned community.
1: I know that Vanderbilt wants to get their employees back. I know that the musicians and artists on Music Row are starting to move into these neighborhoods. I know which ones are duplexes and quadplexes, abstein, landlords. If you need a house near Hillsborough Village, I'm your guy. And that strategy took off. Like, I started selling 27 houses, then 43 houses, then 62 houses. And soon I became one of the top agents in the city.
0: Learning to juggle is about enjoying the learning process. Because if you never dropped, you would never know how to make those tiny adjustments that get you where you want to be.
1: And I had a pretty creative persona. i dressed dress with suspenders and Converse sneakers. And I used the juggling thing to my advantage. I was the juggling realtor. I could do ads, juggling people's kids. I mean, I'd do things that were fairly creative. And the Nashville scene liked that and they pumped it up and they started doing something called the best of Nashville. And so for like nine or 11 years, I was the best realtor in Nashville through the Nashville scene. But along the way, I could see that there was something happening in the urban ring neighborhoods. You could feel what was happening in Hillsboro Village. I started selling houses in and around Hillsborough Village and I could see the price differentiation. Like if, if you moved from Hillsboro West End, into the Belmont neighborhood across 21st, the prices dropped 20%. If you went over to Belmont Boulevard, they dropped another 20%. If you went over to 12th South, they dropped another 20%. So there was this perception of differentiation of value. And some of it was because of urban flight. You'd been having a you know, flight to the suburbs for years and years and years. And a lot of the neighborhood commercial districts like Hillsborough Village and 12th South were, were suffering. There were a lot of vacancies. And as I started seeing that movement towards the east, and you could see people starting to buy the houses, you'd see a little fix-up, you'd see conversions back from duplexes to single-family houses, Joel and I decided to take a look at 12 South. And 12 South, you know, I studied it for a while. There was 54 buildings on 12 South. Approximately 50% were vacant at the time. You had very poor sidewalks, poor lighting, poor streets, and decided to get involved and I actually pulled in MDHA, the Metropolitan Housing Development Authority, into the, into the conversation and they decided to set up a redevelopment district. They helped pull together the merchants, they pulled together the Breeze Hill neighbors, the Belmont Hillsboro neighbor. There was all these different smaller neighborhood groups. They pulled them all together with the merchants and they said, what do you want with this street? And the merchants said, we need new traffic studies, we need Better sidewalks, we need better lighting. We really need people to slow down because nobody's stopping and shopping. So we started helping out with that, but we decided to start buying some property. We ended up buying 11 properties on 12 South from 42,000 to 150,000. This is 1994, 1995, 1996. So we were sort of early then and we ended up buying into the street. But the strategy wasn't to own them. The strategy was to see if we could find a merchant or somebody who was going to claim it, fix it up, and make it their own and create another business. So we felt like if we could fill in the gaps, then the ships would rise. But we also, working with Mayor first Bredesen and then Purcell, decided to do a street diet. So they had two lanes going through at the time. We decided to do a test run with just three blocks of street where we narrowed the street to just two lanes, you know, widened the sidewalks and created a walkable neighborhood to see what the merchants and neighborhood felt about it. And they liked it. And so we finished it up under the Priscilla administration. We got enough money to come in and finish up the stretch there. And now it's quite a walkable neighborhood.
2: With success comes self-reflection, and again, some guidance from Joel.
1: Joel was a founder of something called the Social Venture Network. And it was a group of businesses that believed in a just and sustainable economy. And these are businesses like Ben & Jerry's, The Body Shop. These, These leaders wanted to use business as a tool for change. And I was selling real estate, but I was wondering, what am I gonna do?
2: When we come back, you'll hear about the birth of a business that would become his tool for change. But first, we wanna share a quick message about the Nashville Entrepreneur Center from our CEO, Jane Allen.
3: Hi, I'm Jane Allen. I'm here on behalf of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, a nonprofit founded in 2010 to support entrepreneurs in their businesses through all phases of the entrepreneurial life cycle. Our mission is to connect entrepreneurs with the resources they need to help them grow and scale their businesses. From the spark of an idea to high growth, the EC walks alongside entrepreneurs through their business journey. This stewardship of Nashville's business community generates a cycle of giving for generations to come. And we are grateful to the many people who give time and money to help the next generation. After all, entrepreneurship is a part of this city's tapestry. There's a unique desire to help others create economic impact and achieve professional success. This is just how our city works, and I'm proud to call Nashville home. To learn more about the EC and its programs, please visit ec.co. From its birth in
2: 1996, Village Real Estate Services was not only successful, it was intentional. It was just myself and two
1: other agents. We set out to change the way real estate was practiced, but our focus was first the ring neighborhoods in Nashville, and we felt like Nashville eventually was going to go downtown and we would go down, down with it. And we sort of decided we'll do multifamily residential in Tennessee when it comes. It wasn't here yet. We'll focus on ring neighborhoods. We'll focus on walkable neighborhood commercial districts. We'll focus on greenways. We'll focus on things that better the urban neighborhood fabric. When I decided to start the company, I wanted to create Village Real Estate Services as a social venture network. I felt like I wanted to use business as a tool for change. And I decided that for you know every every 5% that got distributed would go to the Village Fund and I felt like Owners and shareholders will always want to create profit for themselves, and so that's the best way to make sure that the village fund is getting its fair share.
2: The fund for giving was as much a line item as the commission's agents were getting.
1: And we decided to give to social profits that had to do with homes, neighborhood communities. So we'd pick some of the social profits here in the city that we're doing, Environmental stewardship, we'd look for affordable housing, we'd look for youth enrichment, we look for a lot of different cool causes that are here in town and find the best of the best and fund their services. And then over time as village grew, we ended up sort of nurturing the agents and helping them become, we called them change agents. We wanted them to go out and be part of a social profit, you know, work and become board members on and become the, the face of the village fund for these different social profits. I think we started attracting different agents who shared the vision, and I felt like that's one of the things I've been able to do is to sort of spawn real estate entrepreneurship in our city. As I started recruiting agents, I'd find that these agents, they could choose their niches and we could specialize in a number of niches around the city with more of us. So it grew in fits and starts. We grow a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. We are always recruiting and growing. We ended up doing different urban real estate centers in East Nashville and Wedgwood, Houston, and over on Church. We, we ended up with offices in Franklin, even because we felt like that was a, a viable exurb. We had an office downtown in Franklin. And I'll tell you one of the secrets to our success was when we began to focus on multifamily residential sales, we had nothing at the time. And so we started training to get ready for developers to help them sell their product when it came. And we got our first
2: listing over in Germantown. And that's where Mark took what now seems like an inevitable next step, becoming a developer himself.
1: There's a great old building over in Germantown that was built in 1872, the Wortham Building. And this was a vacant 400,000-square-foot building dripping with lead-based paint, filled with pigeons, but it had great bones, you know. It had these great old pockmarked old floors, and you had these beams and brick. It was just amazing. People have been asking for lofts in Nashville for my whole time here. Everybody was coming, if they were coming from New York or Chicago or other places, they'd say, hey, I'd like to buy a loft, and I'd say, we don't have lofts here, but how about a nice bungalow in Hillsboro Village? And so I had sold a lot of people projects who really wanted a loft, and I knew that there was a market for it. And so I I went down, I had probably 30 or 40 of my agents at the time go in, probably in 2001, 2002, and take a look at this building, and when I asked the agents if they could sell it, they were like, yes, we can. You know, they were very enthusiastic and excited to sell this building. So we put together a plan for the developer, but the developer didn't do it. And I got obsessed with it, and I was thinking, how can I get this done? So I'd, I hired this guy named Aaron White, <laughs> and he came in. He was probably 27 or 28 at the time, and he had just walked into my office and wanted to work with me. And I said, do you know anything about technology? So he helped me with that. Do you know anything about this? So he helped me with that. And finally I said, help me figure out this Worthen thing. And so Aaron started studying it, and, you know, he did his report, and he came back to me and said, Mark, I've determined that I have to advise you not to do this building. And I said, Aaron, I didn't hire you to tell me not to do it. Tell me how I can develop this building. And he went back, and he figured out how to carve a small section of 23 units to get the bank to lend us money. And the bank ended up lending us money for a 23-unit section in Worthing, which is just a small fraction of that 400,000 square foot building and let us develop the beginnings of what's now were the mill's lofts. I can't believe the bank took a risk on us like that. But then we developed a second phase of 27 units, then a third phase of 36 units, and then this big phase of 120 units where we had to build a parking garage for the rest of the units, and then a final phase of about 100 units So it's it's about 352 residential lofts at the time, but that was my first development project. Village, over time, started maxing out for me. And we did at one point start a mortgage company. We partnered with Wells Fargo and we created a joint venture to get into the mortgage business as well. And we did at one time start a title company so that we'd have a bit of a title business too. Each of those shifted. You know, I I ended up ending the relationship with Wells Fargo during the Great Recession. And there was something with our model with the title company that I think at certain time we had to watch and make sure that we were legally compliant. So we ended that too. So there are ways to improve the economics running a brokerage. And I think under the current leadership at Village Real Estate, they've got some of those mechanics in place again. And I think it's uh, very good. Because I started with the Social Venture Network in mind, there was a time where I had come up with a plan to give it away. Rather than even sell it, I was thinking of how I might give it back to the company or how I might give it to the social profits. And I came up with a plan to do that in 2019. And I came and I presented it to first Joel Solomon. He was up on the island when I was on retreat, and I went and presented it to him and his wife. And he's a shareholder at Village, and he was like, wow you should give that a little more thought. Then I went back home to my wife and she said, don't you think that's a family decision? And then I went to my entrepreneur organization group and I remember Alan Young, he said, fatigue makes cowards of us all, which I remember. And so I let that go. I decided I wasn't going to give it away. And it was just one month later where we were celebrating our 22nd year. I had 450 of my agents and their spouses and hundred social profits. We had given $2.1 million through the village fund back to the community. And I remember just being so proud of what I'd built and just, we had still walkers and I had professional jugglers that had come up through the juggling club and we gave away money and I felt really proud of the whole thing. And it was another week later, when I realized that a group of six agents were going to leave the company and start their own. And I was like, why don't you just buy in the village? It was just this
2: thing. And he said, I didn't know that was an option. And here's where we go back to sea and another crisis on the water.
1: The next day I was going with my EO group and we were going out to jump on a boat and I was going to go diving with great white sharks and on the plane this is the day after sitting down with them on the plane I got an offer and I looked at it and it was a good offer for the company it also offered for the buildings and so I walked up and down the aisle talking to my guys about it and said I've got an offer on the company and we're going to jump on this boat and I need to make sure that I'm in touch. The problem was is that the equipment that we bought didn't work. And I was out probably eight hours or nine hours out in the water realizing that the email that we had bought, the satellite dish that we bought didn't work, the phone didn't work. And I was thinking, this deal is not going to happen. I pulled my EO group together and said, this is an emergency, I'm not sure what to do. And the captain heard me and he said, you know, I have a satellite phone up in the bridge. What? So next thing you know, I was in the bridge, and I dialed up, and everybody was panicked and talked about the offer, gave them a counter, and then went out diving with the sharks for the day. And the next day, I called them again. They had accepted the offer, and then we closed.
0: Throw, throw, catch, catch. Throw, throw, catch, catch. Throw, throw, catch,
1: catch. So I sold Village Real Estate, and it was good for me because I needed to focus on other things that are important for me in my life. I wanted to focus on the two other companies, City Living Group and CORE.
2: It's hard for new arrivals to imagine downtown Nashville the way it was when the streets folded up every weekend. In the
1: early O's, the downtown partnership had done a survey, and there were 84 vacant and semi-vacant buildings downtown. And in the early O's, the plan of Nashville came out, and it said, we really need to reuse some of these existing buildings. We really need to come in and allow for residential downtown.
2: Progress was coming, but... Core development made sure not all the old was tossed aside for the new. We ended up getting invited by
1: MDHA to come downtown. There was some property along Printer's Alley at Church Street. It was going to get torn down for a parking lot, and Phil Ryan was the executive director at the time. He invited us to come down and bid on a building um, which used to house the National Banner. So we ended up coming in and developing that building, the one next door. We called it the Lost the Exchange, and then we proceeded to move down the road and we did church Street lofts Meanwhile, we were moving up and down fifth and we ended up doing the crest lofts, the old crest building, and we did Art Avenue lofts. So we did a series of projects downtown and we were selling, I mean, CORE was involved in some of the first
2: uh, redevelopments of some of these buildings downtown. And it continues. Instead of tearing down an old hospital... CORE Development
1: has purchased the old Memorial Hospital building. So that's, we've realized that the movement in East Nashville is now Madison. So Madison is a pretty cool place to be. There's lots of great things happening. in inner Madison and the Memorial Hospital has potential to be a gateway.
2: And if you've enjoyed Nashville's growing Greenway system, you might want to send Mark a thank you card. When I
1: started selling multifamily residential real estate, beginning in the late 90s, but throughout the O's and going into the Great Recession, one of the things that I would do is I'd give closing gifts to all these people as they closed. And I'd really gotten involved in greenways. I was starting to see that the greenways and the connection to the neighborhoods and the parks were important for the rejuvenation of some of the urban core areas, but even even as far out throughout Davidson County. And so as we closed these projects, I'd start giving everybody a greenways membership. It turns out I'd given over a thousand memberships to Greenways for Nashville, so I was honored as a volunteer of the year. So I was up there, I accepted the award at Dinner by the Bridge, and next thing you know, I was recruited to the board, and it seems like a year later I became the president. I served as president for six and a half years, and it was all under Carl Dean's term. And Dean had started looking at creating four quadrants of parks under something his wife, Ann Davis, had initiated called Nashville Naturally. And so we established four quadrants, including the Percy Warner Park System, but then the Stones River and all the park systems around the Stones River, the Beam into Bell's Bend, and then a park system up in in Mill Creek. But we ended up acquiring 4,500 acres of parks in these quadrants, which was quite an amazing piece of work, and laying down over 40 miles of greenways. So we have like 99-point miles of paved greenways at this time, and I think now my passion would be to fill out the urban greenway system. But what I loved about Columbia is that you had connected neighborhoods and villages, and
2: everything was connected by a greenway. If the high school years truly are the formative years, it's a pretty good bet that Mark Deutschman formed his ideas back in Columbia, Maryland. I do think that we
1: measure success by what we're giving back to the community. And it is true that we're building our own businesses and we're creating our own wealth and things have been more better than I thought. <laughs> you know, it's been a good ride. And I'm a real estate entrepreneur and I've grown businesses like many others who come to the Entrepreneur Center have grown businesses and I've seen real estate entrepreneurship spawned in so many different ways from brokers who become successful and form teams with their own businesses to developers to every you know architects and financiers and people who are involved in the real estate industry and some of these people are building high-rise towers entire neighborhoods you know things that are so significant to our city that they'll change the landscape for generations they're taking huge risks they're signing on to Huge notes where they could go bankrupt. Many of them did go bankrupt in the Great Recession. They took risks like other entrepreneurs, and some win, some lose. So I I think that there's a lot of real estate entrepreneurialism in this town that should be recognized.
2: You've been listening to Circle Back. To subscribe, visit ec.co slash circleback and follow, rate, and review the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Circleback Back is made possible by the generous support of the Beth and Randy Chase family. Also, thank you to our media partner, Nashville Post. Keep your pulse on all things Nashville business and more by subscribing to their newsletter at NashvillePost.com. And a shout out to our friends at Lightning 100 for supporting the show. A big thanks to our team from our creator and executive producer, Greg Allen. Scriptwriting writing by Demetria Caledimos. And a big thank you to the rest of the EC staff. I'm Clark Buckner, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Circle Back.